Pixel Sift is proudly supported by the Murdoch University School of Arts, and they might have what you're looking for in a creative degree. If you're keen to learn more, have a look at murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts to find out what they've got on offer. That's murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts, or you can search Murdoch University for more information. Murdoch University School of Arts, proudly supporting Pixel Sift. Pixel Sift. Hello and welcome to episode 141 of Pixel Sift, the show dedicated to indie games from around Australia and the world. My name is Daniel and with me tonight is my co-host Gianni. Thanks for joining me. Hello, how are you going? Very well, thank you. And our guest this week is Josh Sacker from Deadleaf Games. Josh is the developer of Nom Nom Apocalypse, a twin, a twin stick food themed multiplayer game. Thanks for joining us tonight, Josh. No worries, great to be here. But before we get to that, Gianni, uh, what are we taking a look at today? Now, the COVID-19 novel coronavirus, it's probably not something you'd expect to hear about on a video games podcast, but it's having a big health impact to people all around the world. And in this economy, uh, a number of gaming events, a number of gaming products have also been impacted by this virus. All right, let's get into it. Australia's best video game podcast. Subscribe to Pixel Sift on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Now, the COVID-19 novel coronavirus has been dominating the news. The World Health Organization has declared that Wuhan coronavirus outbreak a global emergency, which has only ever happened five times beforehand. Now, it's having a devastating impact on, on people's lives and hundreds of people have died because of the impact of this virus. Um, and it's also having a big impact on the economy as well. And in this sort of globalised world in which we live, uh, it means that uh, a lot of plans uh, when it comes to the world of games are also changing. Now, we don't want to say at any point that uh, games are anywhere equivalent to keeping people safe. It's obviously much more important for us to make sure people are healthy and safe and uh, that they are taken care of. Um, but... This has happened to coincide with a number of large events that are happening around the world and, and the releases of a number of of big console releases. And now, Daniel, we've been looking in the uh, the news recently and the Game Developers Conference is, is coming up very, very soon. Um, and uh, a number of uh, studios have actually had to pull out as, as a result of that, haven't they? Yeah, they have. Um, so far... This isn't the full list, but notable uh, mentions include PlayStation, Facebook, EA, and even Kanjiba Productions have all cancelled GDC appearances. Um, EA uh, saying, as a result, we are also cancelling our official participation at GDC and limiting attendance to other events. And we are continuing to monitor the situation and will adjust guidelines to our employees as we feel is appropriate. So one thing that's interesting is that Facebook has also said they are still planning to make big announcements at GDC around its Oculus business, but it, instead it's going to do so via digital formats. So things like live streams and uh, that sort of thing rather than actually being in person. So Gianni, do you have any thoughts about that? Oh yeah, I think it's it's interesting. I mean, the alternatives uh, are, are actually available now, which is is a great thing for people to take part in these events remotely uh, in the safety of their own home uh, without the the risk of traveling, uh, which is what obviously they're quite concerned concerned about. Um, and I think it's going to be it's going to be quite an interesting event. Uh, 
I'm wondering, Josh, uh, a lot of people do make the uh, the trip to PAX East and they make tra- a trip over to GDC. Do you know of anyone who's sort of maybe changed their plans or, or are questioning their plans around those uh, big uh, events in the US? No, I've, I haven't heard anyone change their plans. Um, everyone seems to be still going. Um, so it's quite surprising to hear the sort of the, the big players um, change their mind mm. about the events. Yeah, it's inter- it is definitely interesting. Um, I, even with Sony Interactive uh, has said that they you know made the difficult decision to cancel their participation in the Game Developers Conference, um, and they said it's the best option as the situation related to the virus and global travel restrictions are changing daily. Uh, and they're disappointed that they have to cancel, but the health and safety of the global workforce is the highest concern. Um, so that's. Uh, GDC 2020 runs from from the 16th of March to the 20th, but people start travelling from all over the world for other events that happen outside of that. Um, and that travel situation uh, has uh, caused a lot of concerns. Um, but there's also, um, which we've got part of the Pixel Shift team, Fiona is actually heading over to, to Boston at the moment because uh, PAX East, uh, which is a big consumer show, um, is happening there at the moment. And a number of uh, uh, companies have had to pull out of out of that convention as well. So PlayStation and Sony, for example, have cancelled their appearance uh, at PAX East, and they were expected to show games uh, that are just about to come out, like The Last of Us Two. Um, and a number of Chinese-based exhibitors had to cancel their presence at GDC or, or send their North American staff to uh, run their booths. It's it's very it's sort of an interesting sort of situation in which to to have, and I can understand why. Um, people would be uh, worried about this, but um, there, there is actually a game that uh, people often do turn to whenever there's a large sort of uh, global health uh, situation like we have with this particular virus, and uh, it's the uh, the Plague Inc. games. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, apparently people start to jump on that and they start using the model. And there's actually um, the developer of that, Endemic Creations, actually put out a statement, didn't they, Daniel? They did uh, on their website. They said the coronavirus outbreak in China is deeply concerning and we've received a lot of questions from players in the media. Uh, Plague Inc. has been out for eight years now and whenever there is an outbreak of disease, we see an increase in players as people seek to find out more about how diseases spread and to understand the complexities of viral outbreaks. We specifically designed the game to be realistic and informative while not sensationalizing serious real-world issues. And this has actually been recognized by the CDC and other leading medical organizations around the world. And they've also said, however, please remember that Plague Plague Inc. is a game, not a scientific model, and that the current coronavirus outbreak is a very real situation which is impacting a huge number of people. We would always recommend players get their information directly from local and global health authorities. And then they've listed a bunch of links to go and find out more information. Um, something that I found pretty interesting was that GDC, they've, they're following government protocols and uh, guidelines around the situation. And so it includes things like enhancing sanitation procedures and adding more hand sanitizer and cleaning facilities more frequently to stop any potential spread of this. And it seems like uh, there's just been a, uh, bigger alert uh, as far as this goes because obviously yeah a lot of people do travel from all across the world and something like gdc which is mainly networking and meeting developers and shaking a lot of hands exactly shaking yeah, a lot of exactly, hands yeah. when i when i went to gdc last year um i got sick as well and there wasn't you know a coronavirus or anything but these tens of uh the, these types of conventions tend to get people sick uh, as the days go uh, go on just because of the sheer number of people that you're in contact with every day I think it will be really interesting to see how um, uh, a number of these uh, companies sort of uh, change their strategies and see how they still get that information out. Do they pause these things? Because, you know, a lot of these uh, announcements that will be made uh, would have been planned, you know, six, eight, 
nine months ago potentially yeah. uh, to line up with these particular events and to see how that gets delivered. Does that get postponed? Do they still deliver it in another way? And whether or not it will fundamentally change the way that uh, conventions like GDC and PAX work in the future. Um, yeah, I think it will be a very, very interesting to see. Yeah, definitely. Not only that, but the uh, the virus has actually caused other disruptions in the gaming industry. So it's not just the conventions, um, but it's caused things like game delays, hardware shortages, uh, even postponing and cancelling events such as esport competitions. So it, it has affected it in a pretty big way uh, in, in the gaming sector. Hmm. We'll just have to see how it goes and hopefully everyone uh, stays safe uh, when traveling all around the world and, and they still get the most out of, of what they can. Um, and of course, if you want more information, you can head to your um, your health uh, resources and check out sites like uh, the ABC, uh, which are which are doing a good job covering this and to get everything up to date. Hi, Gianni, just jumping back in here with a quick update. Since we recorded this episode, uh, the GDC Game Developers Conference has announced that they will be postponing their event uh, from, it was due to happen in March, uh, it will now be happening later in the year. Uh, due to the large number of companies that had to pull out. Uh, in a statement, they said, uh, in, after close consultation with our partners in the game development industry and community around the world, we made the difficult decision to postpone the Game Developers Conference this March. Having spending the past year preparing for the show with our advisory board, speakers, exhibitors and event partners, we're genuinely upset and disappointed to not be able to host you at this time. We want to thank you, all our customers and partners, for their support, open discussions and encouragement, as everyone has been reminding us, great things happen when the community comes together and connects at GDC. We'll continue to follow this story. In fact, uh, see if any Australian developers have been caught in this particular event. It is the 29th of February as I record this, uh, so only one day away from March. It was due to happen uh, in just two weeks' time. Uh, so we'll see if we can bring you an update on this. Keep an eye out on pixelsift.com.au. Mitch, what's Discord? Discord is an online chat service that most gamers use. Incidentally, you can also use it to talk to us at pixelsiv.com.au forward slash Discord. Yeah, you can talk about uh, episodes, you can talk about upcoming topics, you can probably even coerce Mitch into playing a game with you online. That's not going to happen. That is going to happen. You're doing it. I'm saying that's happening. Sorry. Yeah, well... Join Discord. You should grow your beard back. pixelsiv.com.au forward slash Discord. So today we are joined by Josh Sacco from Deadleaf Games, and he's here to talk about Nom Nom Apocalypse. So Josh, for those of us who don't know, what exactly is Nom Nom Apocalypse? It's a food moon shooting uh, twin stick shooter. (laughs) Sort of rolls off the tongue. (laughs) Yeah. We, yeah, we were so, we were really curious because obviously that sort of apocalyptic uh, shooter is a is a mainstay for video games. But yeah. where did the idea for using like you know different types of fast food like noodles and and chips and burgers and all of that sort of thing come about? Well, uh, just firstly, ten years ago, I used to flip burgers for a living before I got into the game industry. So I got experience with all sorts of different greasy sort of <laughs> foods, and they were your enemies. <laughs> yeah, so I've got personal experience there. Um, but uh, I was playing um, Overcooked with uh, with my friends a lot and I was playing Binding of Isaac and um, sort of like the gruesome sort of like aesthetics of Binding of Isaac really inspired me. But like just the food theme from Overcooked was uh, just delightful and I think just playing them two together sort of just sparked like, you know, like an unholy sort of, you know, mutation. And then, like, I like sort of monster movies and stuff like that. So that sort of just sort of pushed into the mix. Yeah. Uh, 
Can you tell us as well, because um, you've kind of used the, the term roguelike, uh, roguelite um, to describe the game. Um, we've heard roguelikes, we've heard roguelites before, but for people who don't know, what does that actually mean to you um, and, and why is the game sort of described that way? Um, I, would, I would describe it very lightly just to give a people uh, a sense of the, the structure of the game. Um, for me, it's sort of like just the randomization, the non-linear sort of experience and stuff. Um, but I, I would, it's the easiest way to explain the sort of setup of the game, um, but I wouldn't lean too heavily into the game being that. Um, just text, yeah. So, Josh, uh, apart from the music, you've developed pretty much the entire game by yourself. And what was the biggest challenge that you faced while making the game as a, as a solo dev? Uh, just uh, jump backwards and forwards. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I'd have to plan, you know, um, so I, I built the base of the game and then, like, you sort of jump, you're like, all right, I'm going to do art and animation this day. And then you sort of have to go back and sort of hook it up and test it and make sure, you know, it sort of, you know, it looks like, you know, uh, everything can, all the aesthetics are sort of fitting, you know, the, the sort of gameplay and stuff. So um, it's just the sort of balance between jumping backwards and forwards between the um, sort of roles and stuff. Um, yeah. Is there an advantage, do you think, to, to I guess, having that full oversight of, of every aspect of the game? Um, yes and no. So, like, you sort of live in a sort of bubble. So, like, you do have to get, like, um, uh, sort of, like, outside opinions here and there. But, like, like, you sort of move a little bit faster, too, because, like, in production, you sort of, you know, you have to sort of upload to servers and stuff. You have to check in your work and then, you know, someone else has to go through and use it and hook it up. So there's, there is like speedy elements working sort of by yourself. Um, you can sort of just like jump pretty fast. Yeah. And you've described yourself as a game art generalist uh, with a lot of different skills in, in different areas. And uh, Josh, what part of the process do you enjoy the most? So, you know, when it comes down to rigging or texturing or 3D modeling, is there one particular aspect of it that you enjoy doing more than others or is it all all the same? Um, I do like the initial concepting stage because it's sort of unconstrained. You can sort of just, you know, uh, sort of think about it freely. But then I sort of enjoy about uh, enjoy the moment where you have to sort of constrain them ideas and make it into like a physical thing and think about how that's going to work in game. So that's that's pretty cool. Mm, um, I always enjoy Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, thanks for watching Pixel Sift. If you're watching us on one of the live platforms, like you're watching us on Twitch, we're talking to Josh Sacco about Nom Nom Apocalypse, a game that's uh, developed uh, basically by himself with a bit of help on the music as well. Um, Josh, I'm, I'm curious as well, like the, the inspiration of the, the art style as well that you were sort of talked about, you, you have that sort of, you know, background in burgers, shall we say. Um, yeah. Well, could you tell us what, what did you do to kind of develop the, the character and the style of, of, of the game? Um, so I, I, I guess it's the style sort of comes from my personal style, long running style that I have. But uh, my, my sort of my goal was to create something that just felt chunky, um, sort of like globby. Um, like just very chunky and wet and uh and then yeah, <laughs> yeah and then sort of monstery as well so just fangs and claws and stuff yeah and then colorful as well so i wanted something that was very colorful um chunky yeah. wet fangy and monstery <laughs> <laughs> that's an elevated pitch if i ever heard one <laughs> yeah so yeah there there are a lot well, of ga- oh, sorry uh continue no no continue yeah yeah go uh, I was going to say, there's a lot of different games that are set in an apocalypse. You know, there's 
for example, The Last of Us and uh, Fallout and that sort of thing, but not really one with food before. But Josh, from your opinion, what what do you think makes the apocalypse setting so fit so well within video games? Um, there's there's sort of a call to action, like it's the last stand, like you know. You, this is the last stand to save humanity. Um, and then also you can do a lot with the environments as well. So you can, you can be more creative with the environments. I feel, um, you know, like I was like, what can I stick? You know, the more becomes like, you know, a frozen wasteland uh, or a frozen dungeon. Um, I just feel like it's really easy to sort of manipulate um, the environments and uh, create a story from. Uh, we've got a question from someone on Twitch uh, who asks if uh, e- there was a lot of eating of fast food while making the game. <laughs> <laughs> there were nights. There were, there were late nights where, the, yeah, definitely McDonald's and KFC. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us as well, what does a typical workday look like for you? What, how, how, does it, how does it roll out? Um, so during production, I, I'd wake up 6.30 a.m., um, grab a coffee, um, sort of go over some notes. Um, I sort of have a list of sort of things I want to do for the day and the week and sort of, uh, sort of attack it that way. Um, that's, that's pretty much it. There's, there's no mm. sort of, yeah, it's, it's some days at a, a time it, limit for yourself while you, while you're making a game or cause you know, when you're working by yourself, you don't have a work day, you don't <laughs> clock out and catch the thing. Uh, yeah. how, how does it work? I, well, like I did, I did set pretty heavy rules for myself to maintain that sort of professional work environment. So twelve o'clock, I would, you know, just definitely leave the computer. Um, you know, go go outside, um, leave the workspace, take a you know a break, and then come back and do the rest of the hours um, in the day, and then you know uh, finish up for the day after that. Um, so I did try to um, simulate sort of a professional environment and keep routine because I think that's important um, when you're doing indie dev. Yeah. Mm. Um, you've showed the the game off at a number of conventions. We've seen it at least a couple of times at, at PAX, and uh, you know it's now out and people are playing it. What's the reception been like, and and how how are you kind of reacting to it? Um, pretty good. Um, like uh, I think people, I was trying to put out something sort of a more casual sort of uh, twin stick shooter. Some people tend to focus on the uh, sort of roguelite ish elements in different ways based on previous uh, sort of games and stuff. So um, there's like for and against that sort of aspect, which is fine. But uh, I, I feel like I've delivered sort of like a sort of a, a more light-hearted version of a twin-stick shooter. So yeah. So Nom Nom Apocalypse also includes some co-op, and how does co-op enhance the gameplay experience? And does the I- inclusion of co-op influence any big design design decisions that you have to make uh, during development? Yeah. Um, it does add a little bit more work, obviously. Um, and then I guess for gameplay, you sort of got to think about um, how how are two players going to take down like a room instead of just one? And then what are the penalties for that? So um, during gameplay, um, I did decide that if one person falls that, uh, you know, sort of uh, dies, you could resurrect them if you had enough money. But then that would be like the, the, the other player might not want to give up what they've earned to resurrect that player. So the player has to wait till the end of the dungeon uh, being cleared to, to come back in. So you really have to think about, you know, do I want to sacrifice my money to, you know, to get this person back in so we can pass the level. So that was a little sort of, um, sort of a little uh, like point that I thought that, you know, players could have a sort of interesting dynamic um, with their experience. Hmm. 
Um, yeah. does, do the enemies scale as far as like how many players are on screen and do you have to think about enemy damage output and that sort of thing? Or, or is it more different in the sense of uh, when, when you have just two people? Um, yeah, bosses and mini bosses uh, will generally have more health with two players. Um, I did find that the screen it does uh, does ha- is a little bit more noisier, so um, it does scale up a little bit with two players, but not too much because I felt like uh, sharing the screen with someone as well as well as the noise does make things um, a little bit uh, chaotic in a good way. So it was good to see that sort of perspective um, and that difference. Yeah. How how did you tune the game to make sure it felt right? If you're working mostly by yourself, what what is the process of uh, I guess testing and and get the feeling right for the game? I did get I did get testing and I did get someone in to sort of help give their feedback. So I did get a playtester in. Um, it, I mean that's the most difficult process is figuring out how how something should feel like here and then how something should feel down the line. And uh, you, the way I sort of designed it is each dungeon sort of goes in waves, so it like rises up, goes down, and then just peaks again at the end to make sure like there's that sort of interest level, and you're not just sort of like uh, like throwing enemies constantly at the players and stuff. So they get a bit of breathing room, um, yeah. And then as the levels progress on, it's a it becomes more about surviving more dungeons and harder enemies and stuff from there, yeah. Um. You mentioned that you've been uh, making games for, for quite a long time now. You've got a bit of experience behind you um, and, you know, kind of working through this, you've got a pretty good sort of work style. Um, but I'm wondering from the beginning of the project and, and to the end, was this something you just look back and go, man, if I had my time again, I would just completely do that differently? Yes, definitely. I think everyone does. But, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say that I'd, I'd probably want to spend more time uh, probably working – um, with the level design, a level design I sort of redid a few times because um, I found as I was adding the art, like I had to sort of like think about how the the flow of the the sort of levels would work more. So I definitely spend a little bit more time designing levels, um, and yeah, just leaving because I was like art sort of like my thing. I could afford to sort of like push the art back a little bit more. Um, yeah, but yeah, definitely. Like you always learn from you know your mistakes, so you know doing things differently is always a thing. I guess the other flip side of that is there's something in there that you are just so proud of, and you love showing off whenever uh, it comes along. You like have a look at how I put this together. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I definitely love the bosses. Like, I, I, feel, I feel like they're they're uh, the the biggest sort of thing on display and stuff. I enjoyed designing them and uh, uh, think like trying to uh, subvert the normal from typical twin stick shooters because i didn't want to fill the screen with bullets i was like i've got these monsters what can i do um besides you know putting bullets all over the screen you know can they you know like lay traps can they spew out something different you know so it was fun to sort of uh sort of uh tweak and uh, muck around with what these creatures could do um that people hadn't seen before so josh um as far as your target audience or the people that you would want playing your game uh have, did you design that in mind as far as a certain demographic or a certain type of player? Um, yeah, uh, it's sort of hard to say because, like, some people will surprise you. I did at PAX, I did have people go, uh, I usually don't play these sort of sorts of games, but uh, I did like this one. So I do feel like I've got uh, a sort of different audience than I thought I would. Um, and a lot of people have been asking for, for it on Nintendo Switch. So, um 
yeah, so it feels like maybe my intended audience is a little bit different to what I initially set out to do, but I'm pretty happy with that. So, mm. Does that um, influence any design de- decisions as you move on and you realize that maybe people that really respond to the game are having suggestions and that sort of thing? Yeah, I did take quite a few suggestions from PAX, so that was good, um, and other people who have um, sort of given the input and, uh, yeah, like, yeah, definitely, yeah. Uh, we've got another question um, from Twitch um, from Vasi Pegan uh, who asks, could this game potentially be part of the Aqua Team Hunger Force expanded universe? <laughs> I've heard people bring up them uh, characters before. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Would fit. Is it? Is it? Yeah. Um, Josh, if people want to play the game, whereabouts can they, they find it? Currently on Steam. Okay. And have you pl- got plans for other platforms down the track? Yep, I do have plans for Xbox and Nintendo for now. Yep, and currently adding more content to it. So yeah. And uh, I, I guess the if you have to sort of uh, you know wrap it up, you said chunky and wet and like colourful and all that sort of stuff. But like if you had to say if someone likes uh, you know this type of game, um, then Nom Nom Apocalypse would also be for you. How would you kind of frame it for them? Oh, I would say if you like. Uh, taking out a horde of cheeseburgers with a mustard shotgun and racking up a score combo, then this game's for you. A unique experience you might not be able to find anywhere else, I'd say. <laughs> it's starting to make yeah. me hungry now. <laughs> oh, get, yeah, getting to dinner time. Yeah. Um, so it's called Nom Nom Apocalypse, uh, available now on Steam, uh, and you can check it out. Just search for Nom Nom, N-O-M. Uh, nom apocalypse or, or look for dead leaf games uh, on twitter and on on facebook and all around um yeah it sounds like a lot of fun and we can't wait to to give it a go for one of our pixel sift plays in one of the upcoming episodes awesome <laughs> thanks for having me well that's about all the time we have for today thank you for watching or listening to episode 141 of pixel sift this episode has been hosted by myself and gianni and uh thanks for joining me tonight gianni thanks dan Pixel Sift is produced by Scott Quigg, Sarah Ireland, Fiona Bartholomeus, Mitch Lowe, myself, and Gianni Di Giovanni is our ex- executive producer. We wouldn't have been able to make 141 episodes of Pixel Sift if we didn't have the support of Murdoch University. Go and check them out and tell them that we sent you. If you're keen to learn more about a great creative degree, head to murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts. That's murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts. And as always, we'll be sticking links to topics we talked about in the show notes on our website. You can go over there on www.pixelsift.com.au. And you can come join us on Discord. We'd love to have you there as well. Uh, the address for that, uh, easypixelsift.com.au forward slash Discord. You can share your creative work if you're making a game, if you're making music. You can talk about some of the topics, uh, tell us what you're playing uh, and anything else. So that's pixelsift.com.au forward slash Discord. And if you like what we do, can we ask you a favor? Uh, we really need you to help share the show. Uh, so tell your mates, uh, tell your brothers and sisters, tell your mum. Uh, tell your grandparents, tell anyone uh, that uh, they should check out the podcast Pixel Sift. Um, and we also, we've got another Pixel, uh, Pixel Sift podcast as well. It's called Mainstream. So if you like AAA games and hearing the experiences of the team at Pixel Sift uh, with playing those games, as well as looking at some of that AAA news, you can check that out as well in your podcast player. So both Pixel Sift, which is this one, uh, and Mainstream. Our next episode will be, will be recorded live on twitch.tv forward slash Pixel Sift on Thursday, the 12th of March. 
at 8.30 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time. So please come down and join us and be part of the episode. And next week on Thursday, the 5th of March, it'll be Pixels of Plays, where we play some of the indie games that feature on our show. That's all for this week. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time. Hi, Pixel Sift listeners. My name's Ben. I'm one of the hosts and the dungeon master of How to Win Loot and Influence Dragons. It's a Dungeons and Dragons actual play comedy slash storytelling podcast. That basically means I sit around with some of my best friends, these idiots, and I am your first mate, Jackson. You sit. Thomas Horatio Hornblower Owen. Whoa. Grace the Kraken Chapo. <laughs> and we play Dungeons and Dragons together. Everybody, roll initiative. We're going in here. Mine's 11. 19. That's a two! <laughs> <laughs> Telling a collaborative fantasy story whilst trying to make each other, and you, laugh. I feel like we should include that and just see if we get away with it. Oh, I'm definitely going to include that. <laughs> <laughs> we explore a world known as Carthus, and we try and balance the rules-heavy D&D actual play stuff with storytelling, comedy, and fun. If you're into nerdy stuff, or if you're just into good friends hanging out, you'll probably like it. We're quite close to the end of our current story. Story, and it is one continuous narrative, so if you're looking for a place to jump in, I'd recommend listening to Chapter Zero at the very start of the feed, which gives you a bit of background and some ideas for places to start with the show. That's How to Win Loot and Influence Dragons from the Curio Network. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at curionetwork.com.